I want to just read to you this morning uh, from Matthew chapter 21. Today's Palm Sunday as we celebrate Jesus, who he is. Matthew 21 tells a story of uh, this particular moment like this. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And there uh, you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet years and years, centuries before. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. Very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let me pray. Lord, in this moment, we want to see you for who you are. Lord, today we, we celebrate who you are. And Lord, I ask that in this time we have together that your spirit would be poured out on us and would witness to us of who you are, would reveal to us more of who you are, would reveal more of, of how you would long to work in each of our lives. That Lord, your spirit would give us a greater capacity to see you for who you are, to know you for who you are. So, Lord, on this day, we pray uh, that we might know you in fullness, more of you. We pray that, Lord, we might have ears that can hear and eyes that can see who you are. We ask that as we come to your word and we, and we look to it and we look to you, Jesus, that you would meet with us and you would speak to us. And we pray this and ask this in your almighty name in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, good morning. Before you, before you sit down, why don't you give somebody one more high five, maybe give two high fives because it's Palm Sunday. We don't want to forget. Get them palms out. Give a high five. And then you can grab a seat. And uh, it is, it's Palm Sunday. Uh, we're uh, celebrating this today as we approach uh, Easter next week. Good Friday coming this week and Easter Sunday uh, next week. And, uh, and so we're going to be unpacking that very story and, and all that was happening in that incredible moment of Jesus riding into Jerusalem and the crowds waving the branches and placing their clothes. We're going to unpack this moment uh, today. And, uh, and my hope is we will, we will have a chance to just Think together about who is this Jesus and uh, understanding more of who he is. You know, when I was in university, I played uh, tennis. I was on a team. And our team 
uh, we had this tradition when we would, we would play like an away match or be traveling somewhere. Uh, if we stopped at a restaurant, uh, we kind of made it our habit to find someone uh, of the female persuasion in that restaurant. We were a, a guy's team. And we would find someone and we would reenact the famous scene from Top Gun where Maverick and Goose sing, you've lost that love. How many people know that scene? It's a great scene. It's an awesome scene. One of the great of, uh, scenes of all time. So we would do this uh, with varying degrees of success. And so whenever we would stop, we would find someone, we would go, we would, we would, we would sing this. And, and so we had this one particular night, though, was, it was a really kind of fun one. We were in between. We, our, our university is in Indiana. Much of Indiana is like, you know, practically uninhabited rural. So if you were driving any distance, you could end up kind of in the middle of nowhere. We're uh, in one of those kind of spaces. There was hardly anything around, but we stopped in the middle of nowhere between the two schools that we had been at. Uh, we stopped, and there was this diner. It was called Ryan's Steakhouse. It was a diner. It was kind of place open 24 hours. I think probably had a buffet. Uh, we were pretty keen on the buffets back then. And uh, so we stopped there, and we're eating, and, uh, and, and, and we'd already played our match. And our waitress says to us, she, you could tell English wasn't her first language, but she says to us, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's mom is in that room. And we're like, now this is about 97, 98, like Seinfeld, the TV show. How many people know the TV show Seinfeld? I mean, it was at its peak kind of at that moment. And she tells us, Jerry, and we all loved uh, Seinfeld. You know, we're like big fans. And we're like, oh, my goodness, Jerry Seinfeld's mom is in the next room. We love the show. We felt like we've got to go talk to this woman. We've got to tell her thank you for, like, giving birth to Jerry, all he's meant to us. And we're like, clearly, tonight, she is the lady we need to sing You've Lost That Love and Feeling to. So we're all like, this is going to be a little bit awkward. How are we going to know who she is? And, and, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld's mom, so everybody's like, you know, well, who's going who's gonna to start it? And everybody, it was decided that I would, I would be maverick in this situation, that I would, I would start the, the singing. And, and I have no idea why because, but anyway, so waitress tells us, she's over there. We're like, how are we even going to know what she looks like? How are we going to figure out who she is? And she's like, she's, she's in this long table. Her, she's going to be the one in the middle. I can only see the back of her head. So we walk over there. We all got all our, all our tennis, you know, uniforms and gear on. And uh, I think one of my friends, you know, does the goose tap, and uh, she turns around, and turns around, and I thought, and I wasn't expecting it, but I actually knew this woman, because it was not Jerry's birth mom, it was his mom from the television show. So she turns around, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I know you, I was not expecting this, I was not, I did not realize what was going to happen, and so I launch into, of course, you've lost that love and feeling, and, and everyone joined it, and it was uh, you know, it was an amazing, beautiful moment. Now, so we think to this lady, we serenade her as we do. She thinks we are like the, the most hilarious group of people she's ever met in her life. She, we actually ended up spending about 10 minutes with her. She wanted photos with us. And uh, so, I, you know, I, she was like, you know, we thought, you know, but she was like, i got to get pictures with you. My husband's never going to believe this. Like this. She just thought it was hilarious. So we got to talk to her. And we were like, this is so much better than even meeting Jerry's real mom. We got to ask her questions about the show. She was telling us about the actors. And we had this incredible conversation. And I know none of you believe this because I don't have actual photos, but this was pre-mobile phones. you got to understand that. In fact, her, her, someone with her was taking photos, and she took my address and told me she would mail me the photos. I'm still waiting for them. But uh, uh, anyway, 
So, but it was, it was actually this just kind of like a, a totally wild moment. You know, I got to do my Kramer impersonation for her. She said it was one of the best she'd ever seen. I made up the last line of that only. Um, and, you know, but it was just like this was more than we kind of expected. You know, it, this was the always kind of funny thing about that moment to all of us was like we were so right and so wrong in the exact same moment. You know, our waitress tells us it's Jerry Seinfeld's mom, and we had this one sort of picture. Okay, this is what it means, that his mom is here. This is amazing. From the moment we met her, we're like, man, we had a certain kind of expectation who you were, and it was, we were right. It was his mom, but just not at all the way we imagined it would work out. And it's possible sometimes to be completely right and completely wrong in the same moment. And one of the things that we are going to look at today is we unpack this incredible moment on Palm Sunday is how it was so possible in that moment for people to be completely right and completely wrong about what they were doing. And sometimes our, our series this year is called Unexpected Easter. And we're talking about how Jesus defies our expectations. He confounds like what we perceive he will be or, or exactly how he is going to work or what he will do. Jesus is full of and constantly defying our expectations. It was true back then. And if you aspire to follow Jesus now, he will continually defy and uh, and challenge your expectations of who he is. Last week we looked at how sometimes our expectations of Jesus, he's just so much different. It's completely not what we expected, it's just different. But one of the other ways uh, that our expectations get surpassed in Jesus is that not uh, sometimes he's exactly who we thought he is, but he's so much more. And we're going to look at it this week how, how Jesus is, is so much more. Than, than what the crowds were expecting of him. This story that we read a few moments ago on Palm Sunday is the story of a king's welcome. In that moment, those verses we read, what you're seeing is a, a welcome for a king. When Jesus took the donkey and he rode from the top of the Mount of Olives down into Jerusalem and right towards the temple, he was going to receive a king's welcome. It's a moment where Jesus was, in effect, declaring himself as king. And in, in this moment, it takes place around Passover time. The city of Jerusalem was full of people, pilgrims, people coming to celebrate the Passover. It's kind of festival season. The whole city's kind of buzzing to begin with because everybody's in town and everybody's ready to celebrate. It's the most kind of momentous moment in their calendar. And into this kind of festive, uh, you know, kind of buzzing uh, time in this city, Jesus does something really intentional. He tells his disciples, go and you're going to find a donkey and you're going to find its colt. And I want you to go and I want you to bring them to me and I'm going to ride them down into the city. If you've ever been to Jerusalem where they were on the Mount of Olives, you're up high and elevated. And from there you can actually just look down. And even to this day you'll see the remains of the walls of the kind of the base retaining walls of what the temple was. And it's this incredible view and it's, and it's a beautiful just journey. And Jesus says, I'm going to ride right down into Jerusalem on this donkey. See, to ride a donkey in those days, to ride it into the city was actually something a king would do in those days. You might think, you know, why Jesus, of all the things you could ride, why would you ride a donkey in that moment? 
Why would you choose that? Well, in their culture and in their context, it was not uncommon in times of peace for a king to ride through a procession on a donkey. And so Jesus is really going to, in the midst of this, he says, go. And Matthew kind of makes a point to let us know uh, that Jesus tells the disciples to go bring me these donkeys. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He doesn't end up on the donkeys by accident. He didn't just kind of end up on this march, like just on this donkey because he needed, you know, a bit of transportation. He has been very intentional. He is declaring in this kind of heightened environment that, in fact, he is king. All the people have been, you know, kind of the buzz around Jesus and, and the, the trending of Jesus in that moment. And who he is is just getting bigger and bigger. He's doing miracles. He's teaching. He's, he's seeing people healed. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead. Expectations are high. And Jesus says, get me a donkey and I'm going to ride into town. He's declaring himself as king. And he gets a king's welcome. It says the people, they grab branches, they wave them, they take their cloaks, their coats, and they're throwing them on the road. This is how you would greet a king. This is how you would welcome a king. They're shouting, Hosanna to the Lord, not because they believe Jesus is God, but because that is what you would shout in celebration of what God is doing in that moment. The people give Jesus a king's welcome in this moment. And what's amazing, I think, about this picture is that you see for a moment, it's like everybody's agreed on this, that Jesus is the king. That Jesus is the king they've been looking for. That Jesus is the heir to the throne of David. Everybody's like, Jesus is king. He declares it. They celebrate it. And you have this moment where it's like, yep, we got it. We know who, we're, we're getting it now. The crowd's like, we're getting it now. Jesus, he is the long-awaited messianic king we've been waiting for. So everybody's agreed on that. But we know from history that over the course of the next week, this crowd that is cheering and celebrating and could not be more excited and passionate in this moment for their king, that within a, a few days will scatter, abandon him, and, and Jesus will be left all alone. And you have to wonder, how does this transition happen so quickly that people so passionate for him one minute will end up walking away from him the next. And I think that a big part of that is because while they, everyone was agreed on the fact that he was going to be king, there was, there was actually a complete, underneath the surface of that, there was a total disconnect between who the people thought, what they thought this kingship would mean, and who he would be as king, and the kind of king that Jesus is actually declaring himself to be. I think this is one of the great challenges in following Christ. I've seen people uh, today, you know, with who it is sometimes so easy to start off passionately following Jesus. And the moment you sort of realize this is who he is or he's God or I want him in my life. And, and then so quickly can turn when he doesn't, when things don't begin to go the way you expect. He's not the kind of God or king that you expect. It's so easy to, to experience such disillusionment. You kind of turn and walk away from that. You see, Jesus is declaring himself to be king, but in this moment, he was doing more than that. He was also declaring what kind of king he would be, what it meant for him to be king. You see, their expectation, the crowd's expectation of what it meant that he was king, like, yep, he's king. Here's what they imagined that to mean. 
is they expected that he would be a king who would overthrow. He would be a conquering king. He would be a, a, a that, that he was the long-awaited messianic king. They shout, you know, Hosanna to the, the son of David. You know, they're, they're waiting for this king who will be a king in line with their, the, the king they always thought of, their King David, who was back in their beginning as a people, as a nation, and who was, who, who, who actually, you know, kind of conquered peoples and brought peace to the kingdom. So here they are, they're living now as a people oppressed under the Romans. They, they, they have to, they're subject to the Romans. They, they want to be kind of their own free people again. And so what they're looking for in a king is someone who will overthrow. They're looking for a king who will come and deliver them from the Romans. A king who will turn their situation on its head, take them from being a people feeling like they're under the thumb of the Romans. They're expecting a king. This is what it will mean for our, a king to come. They will, they will rescue us. They will deliver us. They will overthrow. You see, in this moment, one of the things you see is that they're waving palm branches. And palm branches, in their day and time, in this period of of Israel's history, they were a symbol for revolution. It was one of their symbols of, of overthrow. There had been, Jesus was not the first person that they began to celebrate as king. There had been others who had come as potential messiahs, but always the story ended one way. The messiah, the, these kind of messianic figures would come and they would, you know, begin to kind of lead the people forward, but they would be, uh, they, uh, every other messiah figure to this point ended in death. So often put to death by the Romans or, or the other conquering peoples. But the, the palm tree had become a symbol. The palms had become a symbol of like revolution. We don't want to live under the thumb of the Romans. We don't believe that's what God intends for our life. We want to see things overthrown and changed. Do you know, I think one of the, the great challenges following Jesus is that we often want him as well to be an overthrowing kind of king in our life. By nature as humans, I don't think it's just the crowds back then. I don't think it's restricted to one time or one place. But by nature as people, when we experience challenge or hardship or a situation we are not fond of, we tend to want to see overthrow, instantaneous change. This is one of the reasons that, that so many lottery tickets are sold every week, isn't it? I'm not super stoked about my circumstances in life, and I'm hoping if I could just buy this one ticket, one thing could just overthrow it all and change everything immediately. We want overthrow. We're people who gravitate towards overthrow. Fix it. Change it. I don't like this. I want it different. And sometimes we can bring that same expectation to Jesus. Jesus, if you're a king, surely you're capable of fixing the situation I'm in. Surely you're capable of overthrowing uh, whatever circumstances I find myself in. We all often bring this kind of expectation. Well, Jesus, if you're king, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that you're going to be able to, to fix some of the situations I get into. But Jesus is a totally different kind of king. Jesus, is, he's got a whole nother way of working. The thing about Jesus is he can't just 
think or say or expect, surely if I just ask him, he will always just change it all overnight. I'm, I'm reading right now for about the last year with my, my son Levi, we've been reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. How many people know the Chronicles of Narnia? These great stories. We started about a year ago with The Lion, the Wish, and the Wardrobe, and now we're in the very last book. It's called The Last Battle, the seventh book. And, uh, and one of the themes that runs all through these books, and they have this lion in them called Aslan. And Aslan is this Jesus figure. It's a, you know, kind of allegory a bit in different ways and spaces. And so Aslan is this Jesus figure. And the thing that is always said about Aslan is he's not a tame lion. Aslan's this lion, and, 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 and throughout the stories, he kind of comes and goes, and he intervenes at times when things are going badly or difficult or there needs intervention. But the thing that everybody says whenever they can't kind of figure out, you know, or Aslan's not doing what they're hoping, they always say he's not a tame lion. And it's always a, a challenge for some people to figure, well, what does that mean? Here's the thing about Jesus is he's not, he's not a tame lion. He's not someone we can just kind of say, here's what I want, now do it. No matter how much we wish that would happen at times. No matter how much the crowd was like, Jesus, if you are the Messiah, if you are the king, surely you will overthrow. Surely you will take care of this. Surely you will fix it and turn it upside down. But Jesus has something completely different in mind. Do you know what's amazing in this story? It's like their expectation that he will be an overthrowing king is actually what blinds them to Jesus' own declaration about who he is. You see, in this moment, you have the, the one side, the one group of people that is so looking for overthrow and, and shouting and excited and thinking maybe this is it. The king has come. Things are going to get put back to rights in this moment. While Jesus, while they're waving palm branches, Jesus has very, very, very intentionally chosen to ride on the foal, the colt of a donkey. See, the thing about riding even on a donkey, as I said, this is something kings would do, but it's what kings would do not in times of revolution or when they're about to set everything on its head. It's what kings would ride in peacetime. And he's chosen, he could have chosen the, the chariot and the horse. He could have chosen just the war horse to ride in on. But he's chosen to ride on not even just a donkey, but on the colt, on the child of a donkey. And that was actually a symbol of peace. And when you read the story and you think about these two kind of conflicting pictures, it's, it's just incredible that in one moment, it was all so right. Yes, he was the king who was worthy of praise and adoration and celebration. But in the same moment, he was a completely different kind of king than what they ever expected. He was a king who was coming to bring peace, not overthrow. He was coming to be a whole different kind of king than what they could imagine even in that moment. You know, I think one of the, the amazing things uh, about knowing Jesus as he is is that we have to actually take him on his terms. And he's not tame. And he doesn't fit our desires sometimes. We feel like we can see there could be nothing better in this situation. The people in that crowd thought there could be nothing we could imagine more important that you could do, Jesus, more clearly that you could do in this moment than to overthrow. But Jesus comes on his own terms and he says, I'm not coming to bring a battle. I'm coming to bring peace. 
and he chooses to ride on a donkey. I think it's so helpful for me because I think of times in my own life when, and I, and I have to ask myself and wonder, when do my expectations of who Jesus is and how I think he should act, when do those become a cloud to seeing what he's actually doing? When do I end up missing the donkey, missing Jesus was making a bold statement about himself, and he's making a statement that he's fulfilling prophecy. He's making a statement, I'm the one who, is, who you've been waiting for, but he's making a statement that I'm coming to bring peace. But they couldn't see it. And I wonder in my own life how often, and how often do we miss how Jesus might want to be at work because we're expecting one thing, and he's trying to help us understand something bigger, deeper, beyond that. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, he was a guy who experienced, you know, incredible swings in circumstances. He was a guy who knew what it was like to be shipwrecked in prison, to lose everything, to give everything for the cause of Christ. He was a guy who knew surely what it was like to be in moments, you know, in prison and not in nice, you know, prisons like even what we might even imagine to in, in some of those brutal like Roman, you know, zero, you know, 35, 50 AD kind of prisons. Surely he knew what it was like to just say, God, why don't you fix this? Why don't you overthrow it? Why don't you change it? But Paul writes an incredible, I think, uh, set of verses in Philippians for us that speak to actually what, what's, what, what should this look like? Are we saying that God doesn't care about our circumstances, that he, he won't or, or doesn't act on our behalf? I love what he says in Philippians chapter 4. We'll put these verses up where he says, do not, this is what Paul writes, says, do not be anxious about anything. You're in a situation where you feel like you need some overthrow, where you feel like you need a change, a reversal. Paul says, don't, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, no matter what's going on, by prayer and petition, that means just kind of telling God what you want, what you need, petitioning, asking for it. By prayer and petition, not with anxiousness, but with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, this is what I love about this first part of this verse. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, that Jesus does not want to act in our lives. Not at all. He's king and he is able to do anything. And I'm not saying we shouldn't talk to him about the situations we find difficult. But what Paul helps us see is that there's a particular way to come before this king, this king Jesus. And he says it's not being anxious about what's going to happen, but rather no matter what's going on, to come to him in prayer, dialogue, talking with him, and with petition. Tell him, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I need. But with thanksgiving in your heart, that's how you present your request to God. With thanksgiving, Lord, thank you for, you know, imagine how different our prayers become when they begin with thanksgiving. When they begin with thanksgiving for who he is and for what he's done, instead of just here's what I need, with thanksgiving we bring those things to God. And then here's what's going to happen. Paul doesn't go on and say, and then he will answer all of those the way you hoped and wanted. And he doesn't say, and then all those situations will get reversed and all those things will be turned on their head. He says, and then, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It's better than getting your way. The peace of God is better than anything you can imagine. He says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, does not even make sense. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
you'll get something as you begin to, to know God in this way, as you begin to pray to him in this way with thanksgiving and by offering to him, here's where I am, here's what I'm looking for, but I thank you up here. The greatest thing you get is not overthrow and the complete reversal. The greatest thing you can get is a peace that transcends understanding, a peace that transcends your circumstances, a peace that no matter what can guard your heart and your mind. Jesus as a king, he came to bring peace. He's not just the king, he's the prince of peace. On Palm Sunday, we're reminded that, you know, one of the greatest cries of our hearts is, is Jesus, you're king, I get that. Would you fix this? But one of the greatest things we see in Jesus' declaration of who he is, is that he wants to come to bring peace into our lives. You know, I, I, I think that one of the, the greatest places that peace is actually to be found is when we know Jesus for who he is. We expect one thing. We can expect lots of things, but there is nothing greater that can happen in life than for us to know him as he is. He is the king, but he is so much more the king than you've ever realized or I've ever realized. He is the king. He is the heir to the throne of David. But the throne is so much bigger. They thought there was nothing greater than, than someone coming who could sit on David's throne, the throne, the king. Uh, to be king of Israel. And what they didn't realize is that David's throne was just pointing forward to a greater throne, the throne of all the universe. You know, what's amazing is that, you know, Jesus, the, our, I think here's, you know what I think, Palm Sunday, if there's something we could take away from Palm Sunday, is that sometimes our expectations of who Jesus is are so small compared to the greatness of who God is. Sometimes our expectations, we think there could be nothing better than if he could do this. And actually, he is so much greater and so much bigger. And his plans are so much longer and just so much, just huger than we can imagine. And when we know him as he is, there's a peace that he brings into our lives. But we have to lay aside sometimes our small expectations and take him as he is on his terms the kind of king that he has declared himself to be. You know, Matthew and some of the gospel writers as well, when they talk about this story, go out of their way to mention that it was not just the donkey, it was the colt. And, and that, that is part of fulfilling the prophecy, but there, there's something even bigger and deeper that, that when our expectations or if the crowd's expectations had not kept them from seeing it, Jesus, they go out of their way to make the point. He's riding a colt, a donkey that has never been ridden before. It's never been ridden in its life. Now, is that just because Jesus wants like a brand new one? Does he just want that kind of new donkey smell for his ride on this? Do you know what you see in this picture? If you've ever tried to ride, and I'm not. I'm not good at riding animals, per se. I can barely get my dog to listen to me at all. But if you've ever tried to ride an unridden animal, an unridden donkey, an unridden horse, from what I understand, the books I've read, the movies I've seen, they do not necessarily take to it on the first go. A donkey that's never been ridden before, and you know what it is a picture of? 
that donkey knows who its master is. He's not just the king of Israel, and he's not just the king of that throne. He's the Lord of all. And nature itself knows when its master has come. That donkey that, that Jesus comes riding, the expectation is clouded, and it's almost like you can miss it so easily. Who is this man that even an unridden donkey is at peace when Jesus is riding? It's a picture of the, the peace he brings, of the greatness and the grandeur. He's not just the king they were expecting. He is, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the creator of all. That's who he is. Can I encourage you this morning? There is nothing greater that we can do than to, than to know Jesus as he declares himself to be. It can be so easy to put Jesus in all kinds of boxes. You know, we see this all the time. Yeah, sure, he was a great leader, or a great teacher, or a great religious figure. He was, maybe even he was a healer, but, but surely he's just one among many. Jesus on his own terms is like, there is none like me. I'm the creator of all. I'm the king of all. And he's come to bring peace into our lives. I think the thing God wants for us above all is to know Jesus as Lord of all. This is what Easter is all about. You know, the kind of last little snapshot I want to give you is, you know, I love, I love what Napoleon has a famous quote about Jesus. Napoleon Bonaparte, not dynamite. Um, it's important to specify that nowadays. And Napoleon said this about, Napoleon was a ruler. He was a conqueror. He knew what it was to rally armies and overthrow. And Napoleon said these words about Jesus. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there's no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. We've overthrown but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force, upon overthrow. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, and still today, millions of men would die for him. And you just realize he's Jesus. He is unlike anyone else. All rulers throughout history saw force and overthrow as the pathway to power. And Jesus alone founded his empire on love, on sacrifice. And it has endured and will endure forever. This is Jesus. There is no one like him. There is no one even close. And the greatest thing that we can do. And, and you think about that moment. If Jesus and this, you know, if Jesus in that moment and what the crowds hoped for, what it meant that he was king, if Jesus had, had given them what they wanted in that moment, he would have been just another Alexander Caesar Charlemagne. The best they could hope for. That was what they were looking for. They couldn't see anything possibly better than that. But Jesus was a completely different kind of king. He was so far beyond their expectations. It just wasn't even close. The greatest thing that you and I can do and where peace in this life comes from is when we begin to know him on his own terms, to understand him for who he is. He's not tame. He doesn't act the way we want. But when we know him above all else, he brings peace into our lives.
kind of king he is. He's peace bringer. He's Lord. He's Lord of all. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for us. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing in a moment this song, Behold. We sang it earlier. And I love that song because it invites us to stop and to think about who God is. Can I tell you, there's nothing better than embracing who God is, than knowing him as he is, and celebrating him as he is. Then singing to him and knowing, you know, you, Lord, there is none like you. Whatever circumstance or situation you find yourself in today, what I can tell you is there is nothing greater that can happen than to begin to turn your eyes and put them on Jesus and know him as Lord. Because he is king. He is Lord. But he's not just any king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And I want to pray for us this morning that we might just know him as he is. Would you bow with me for a moment? Jesus, in this moment, I just ask that you would lift our eyes and you begin to turn them more and more to you. Ask that, Lord, where we might have expectations or we're looking for, for something, Lord, that you begin to recalibrate those things and just direct our attention, our focus, our gaze to who you are. Lord, I ask that our eyes, that you might give us eyes to see you Eyes to see you as you are. Eyes to see your greatness. Eyes to see that you are before all things. You're the creator of all things. Eyes to understand that you long for us to know you as the king of kings and as the prince of peace. Lord, the peace that you, you came to bring, I pray we'd know it more. I pray that as we turn our eyes to you, you'd release it into our lives. I pray you'd release it more and more. Lord, we look to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.